Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.58 a.m. on the anniversary of September the 11th. It's 2019. This is episode 136 of Bitcoin and... And as I mentioned, it's the anniversary of September the 11th, so we get to like experience all the woe and sorrow and stuff again, because we're never going to let it go. It's too valuable of a tool to keep people scared as piss all the time. And what happens with people that are scared as piss all the time? Well, they're much easier to control. Uh yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not really all that much of a conspiracy theorist on the 9/11 thing, and it. You know, if if it happened the way exactly the way that the story goes, which I I don't actually buy, but let's say it did happen exactly the way that the authorities, the authorities said that it happened, then at the very least it's been used to scare the piss out of us, and that I don't think that's cool, man. You scaring the piss out of a population after you know almost we're coming up on what twenty years. Here after a little while, I don't see how that's going to do anything for a population, but just drive them insane. And that's pretty much the whole reason why I'm not a, I'm not all that into memorializing September the 11th. Okay, so let's get into some of the stuff here. I I, I do want to uh, remind everybody, as a public service announcement, that keep your phone on a charger if you can. I mean. Clearly, you know, mobile phones are mobile for a reason, but if you are immobile, like sitting at your desk, driving in your car, sleeping, you know, in the bed at night, you need to keep your phone on the charger. And here's why. In case of an emergency, like let's say 9-11 happened all over again, and you got to grab your phone and you grab your phone and it's got like a 1% charge on it, and you don't have a uh, a charge cable, you're kind of hosed. So let's say it's not 9-11, tornado, hurricane, uh, I don't, freak storm, you know, uh, alien invasion, something shit like that. You need to have your phone fully charged all the time because you never know when this is going to happen. And the chances are good that if you're not always charging your phone, then your phone is probably not always going to be fully charged. And that can be a problem, all right? So if, you know, just a reminder, if you're sitting at your desk, you know, if you got like, you know, a free USB port, make sure that you've got a charger, you know, a charge cable on there that fits your phone so that, and, and it's sitting right on your desk so that the first thing you do when you sit down, plug your phone in, all right? It's, I know that sounds kind of stupid to begin the show off with, but it's really important to do this. Also, in cases of emergencies, you will want to invest like 50, you know, 25, 50 to, a, I think I spent about a hundred bucks on an anchor 
A-N-K-E-R, quick charge uh, battery that I also keep fully charged all the time. All the time. And it will charge up like an iPhone. I think I got an iPhone 8 Plus and it will charge that thing up like, I think it'll charge it up like at least 10 times or six, somewhere between six and 10 times full charge. And they're really small. Uh, they're really good. So get one. Anyway, all right. Uh, that's the PSA is over with. So let's get into some of the community action going on. Uh, Matt O'Dell was good enough to tweet yesterday that, or yeah, it says one day ago, that the Blockstream satellite is now has its own Telegram feed. So <laughs> if you want to see all of the messages streaming on the Blockstream from the Blockstream satellite, uh, just go to uh, the, that's a, let's see, what's, just go to Telegram and search for Blockstream satellite transmission feed, and you'll you'll plug into it. I've 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 got it up, and it's kind of it's kind of neat watching all the the stuff go by instead of having to you know wait for it to come out uh, come out through Twitter, which is not always the best way to get <laughs> news because it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? Um, okay, this hold on for one sec. Yeah, sorry about that. <clears throat> uh, not Grubles, N-O-T-G-R-U-B-L-E-S, uh, tweeted out something rather rather interesting. He's got a couple of um, screenshots here, but he says, somewhat interesting that Roger is trying to sell his Bcash up to $100,000 at a time for literally any other altcoin or actual Bitcoin, LOL. No Bcash buy orders either. So what's he got a screenshot of? Well, it's like the marketplace over there at Bitcoin.com. And I kind of confirmed it that it it says buy from Raj, Roger V. And it's on the, the Bitcoin.com site. I can't imagine somebody faking Roger Ver on the Bitcoin.com site without Roger like pulling that account down because it would be fake. So as far as I can tell, he's got a sell order here that says he it, it, basically this this uh, uh, posting says BCH for any other crypto out of San Jose, America, or the United States, one hundred dollars to one hundred thousand dollars, and then it's got like a buy BCH button. <laughs> Is Roger trying to sell his stack? I don't know, but it's just kind of. It's it's just weird looking at it because it you know there's two things about it that's weird. It looks like he's selling trying to get rid of Bcash, but it's out of San Jose, and this I don't understand because he's kind of not he's sort of like you know persona non grata as far as the United States is concerned, which is why he lives in Japan. So I don't know. I, it's it's hard to tell, but still it's kind of fun fun uh, looking at that. All right. Getting into news, Jimmy Aki is writing for Bitcoin Magazine that the Back to Bitcoin Futures Warehouse is live. This was done yesterday. Backed has announced that the Backed Warehouse, is, its qualified custodian arm, custodian arm is now open for business. The company has previously announced that the warehouse is protected by $125 million in insurance and leverages the same protections that are used by the New York Stock Exchange. The Intercontinental Exchange serves as a parent company for both Backed and the NYSE. 
In the announcement posted on September the 9th, the cryptocurrency trading platform noted the role that the warehouse will play in its soon-to-be-launched physically settled Bitcoin futures product. Quote, it represents a milestone as we prepare for the launch of the, Bit- of the backed Bitcoin daily and monthly futures contracts on Ice Futures US, Adam White, COO of Backed, wrote in the announcement. Quote, the backed warehouse was built using the same institutional-grade infrastructure, operational controls, and security protections that support the world's most actively traded markets, including the New York Stock Exchange, and was designed to meet the highest standards of compliance and oversight, end quote. A lot of time and effort has been expended in getting the necessary regula- regulatory green light for BAC's physically delivered Bitcoin futures product, and there has been equivalent hype surrounding its launch. Backed has announced that its futures platform will go live on September the 23rd, 2019, after it gains the necessary approval to operate as a custodian company from the New York State Department of Financial Services. Uh, Also in backed news, this is coming out of Coindesk, Nicholas Day is also writing, as of yesterday, that backed has officially revealed the initial deposits its customers will have to make to margin trade its Bitcoin futures products. In a new notice posted today, Ice Futures US, the actual futures exchange backs backs contracts are trading on, announced the initial hedge and speculative requirements for customers as well as its monthly rate add-ons. John Tadaro, director of research at TradeBlock, told Coindesk that the initial margin requirements are the amount of assets that need to be pledged in order to open a position. According to Tuesday's notice, customers will have a $3,900 deposit requirement for both BAC's daily and monthly futures contracts as an initial hedge. The speculative initial requirements will be somewhat higher at $4,290 each. The initial hedge requirements are four accounts which already have exposure to Bitcoin, Tadaro said, adding, quote, speculative requirements are for those accounts that are speculating on the price move of, of, uh, on Bitcoin through futures contracts. The CFTC and other regulating agencies have rules in place to protect futures markets from excessive speculation, which can lead to deviant price fluctuations, volatility, etc. end quote. Welcome to Bitcoin, dude. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to be able to protect yourself. <clears throat> similarly, similarly to the initial hedge and speculation rates, BAC's intermonth add-ons differ. Both the monthly and daily futures contracts will have a $400 to $1,000 hedge rate, but the speculative rate will fluctuate from $440 to $1,100. A footnote clarifies that the margin rate will vary depending on the expiration date and the difference of expiration dates of contracts. Quote, as contracts trade over time, there then becomes a maintenance requirement in order to keep your positions open, Tadaro said. Depending on market movements, this position may require you to allocate more funds to return the initial margin required, end quote. The notice also included an inter-commodity spread credit percentage rate, which Tadaro explained relates to the credit available for offsetting positions in related instruments. With Bitcoin currently trading at around $10,000 US, Tuesday's notice <clears throat> matches the predicted margin rates detailed in the FAQ backed published last month, which noted that the initial margin was expected to be approximately 37% for outright contracts. 
While the FAQ said the spread was expected to range from 400 to 800, it did note that the ICUS risk department reserves the right to adjust the margin level based on market conditions. The notice comes less than two weeks before BACT is expected to launch its highly anticipated futures contracts on September the 23rd. When BACT was first announced in August of 2018, the company said it would not support margin trading. However, the warehouse seemingly moved away from this position when it announced its September launch date last month. BACT CEO Kelly Loeffler previously told Coindesk that BACT's daily contract would be margined. At the time, Loeffler did not say how much leverage would be available to the, for the contracts. The company's warehouse, which will actually hold customers' Bitcoin, began accepting customer, customer deposits on September the 6th. The company has declined to share how much it has received to date or the wallet address for its holdings. Well, of course. Tuesday's notice noted that the margin requirements were quote-unquote tentative. So, yeah. There, uh, getting prof- Bitcoin starting to get a little professional here, guys. So that's, and uh, I'm I'm hearing a lot of, not flack. I keep seeing wrecked backed as sort of a meme on, on my Twitter feed, and I'm not sure exactly what they're alluding to. So I may have missed a major story that's come out that says something about how backed got wrecked. Because if if the wrecked part of this is just referring to these uh, margin costs, I don't, I, I I don't see it. I mean, of course they're gonna they're gonna do shit like that. All right, okay. So uh, <clears throat> this is Bitcoin Magazine. This is written by Leland Tang for Eight BTC, which provides. Uh, provide stuff for Bitcoin magazine. This one is Bitmain's Antminer 17 sold out in minutes. Will the Bitcoin hash rate rise? Well, if you've been living under a rock, you wouldn't know that. Yes, it rose. My God. And it rose again today. We'll talk about that one later. Okay. Uh, Bitcoin mining giant launched two new Antminer 17 miners to the eager market on September the 9th, 2019, a day before the announcement. Data from statistics and wallet provider blockchain showed that the Bitcoin hash rate topped 94 exahashes per second and hit 100 exahashes per second. All-time high again. The two new mining models, the Antminer S17E and T17E, are, are purported to offer the best value in the space. This S17E model delivers a hash rate of 64 terahashes per second and operates with a power efficiency of 400, or I'm sorry, 45 joules per terawatt hour. <clears throat> or I'm sorry, no, oh, 45 joules per terahash. There you go. While the more budget friendly T17E offers a hash rate of 53 terahashes per second and power efficiency of 55 joules per terahash, the new T17E model offers the same hash rate as the S17, which has a power efficiency of 45 joules per terahash, already on sale but at a lower price offering, with the 17E listed at $1,665 and the S17 at $2727. Compared to the previously most efficient S9 models launched in 2017, the current S17 series is about three times more efficient. 
It, <clears throat> the company also introduced a compensation strategy for delivery delays. It explains that, quote, if mining machines are not shipped after a certain period of the specified delivery date, Bitmain will compensate customers by coupons for each day of delay based on PPS rewards of the mining pool. Electric, electricity cost is deducted. Yeah. It seems then that the company is confident about its delivery or that it is retaining or attracting customers by coupon compensation once delivery is delayed, considering that the market has been desperate for cryptocurrency mining rigs since the Bitcoin rally began in April of 2019. According to Bitmain's website, the first batch of its new miners expected to be delivered in the first 10 days of November 2019 was snapped up immediately once available for sale. Regarding this, some insiders said on social media that some big orders were placed to the tune of hundreds of millions of won, mostly from mining farms and resellers who might stock up and resell these mining rigs when the price rises. To cater to the increasing market demand, Bitcoin miner manufacturers have been working hard on, cre on increasing their output. As previously reported by 8BTC, Bitmain has ordered 30,000 7 nanometer wafers from TSMC, which could output 90 million chips for about six for about 625,000 units of 7 nan nanometer nanometer miners, assuming all are Ant Miner S17 models. It was expected that these miners would be shipped by the end of 2019 or during the first two quarters of 2020, which could increase the Bitcoin network's total hash rate by 33 exahashes per second. Jeez. Apart from Bitmain, other Bitcoin miner makers like MicroBT and InSilicon are, <clears throat> are also increasing production plans on their latest and most powerful miners. In August 2019, an industry insider revealed to 8BTC that MicroBT, the What's Miner maker, has racked in 700 million, oh, sorry, racked, raked in 700 million won from miner sales in a single week, which could buy 35,904 units of its most powerful mining machine, the M20S. Recently, in, in a silicon, has also reportedly received a multi-million dollar order for miners from cryptocurrency f mining farm Hashbox. So, okay, a couple things. Mining is going freaking nuts. I mean, if we already saw that we've hit 100 exahashes per second, these things haven't even been turned on yet. Remember that. These miners are still like at the factory or in a warehouse sitting in boxes waiting, waiting to be shipped, and they're all sold. And if that number is right, then if the, their numbers are right, then we could actually see one day wake up to 133 exahashes per second. I've just, in 2017, it was four. Okay? It wasn't 100. It wasn't 70. It wasn't 60. It was four single digits. Four. And now it, it looks like by the time these things are switched on, we're going to be looking at 133. And, and that's just out of Bitmain. So the other thing about this, is Bitmain coming back now that they've jettisoned Jihan Wu? Very possibly, we might we actually might be seeing the renaissance of a company that allowed themselves to go down the toilet or flush themselves down the toilet with hubris. You don't want to do that, when You just want to you, you just sell your shit. Okay, so pop, maybe possibly we'll see a a better Bitmain out of this. I don't know, but because Bitmain 
when Jihan Wu was at the head of it, very, very much went off the rails during the hash wars or the uh, scaling wars and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and since Jihan's ejection from Bitmain, I haven't really seen anything but kind of some good news. And our friend BTC five, five, I think it's like BTC King five, five, five or BTC five, five, five. He used to report on Bitmain all the time. Silent, absolutely silent. I haven't heard a thing out of him. So maybe, maybe Bitmain is going to turn a corner and, and, and be an actual, you know, good player in the space. Okay. So in, in the Bitcoin space, we talk about boating accidents quite a bit. And so here's, here's another one. Brave new coins. Andrew Gillick is reporting as of yesterday, has the ship sailed for Ethereum in enterprise <laughs> as the world Ethereum or as the world computer Ethereum can't afford to miss the massive opportunity in enterprise, but it appears the ship may be leaving port without it. Part one of two, assessing a big year for blockchain and enterprise. So this is actually kind of part of a report. So let's see what what they're actually talking about with Ethereum being left behind. Ethereum has long has been on a long road to scalability and solving the arduous technical issues to becoming the world's decentralized computer. Amid developer disagreements and fragmented governance, Ethereum's direction and vision for Ethereum 2.0 is struggling to reconcile its many stakeholders. And the price of its native asset, ETH, has struggled to find much momentum as the public waits for its much-anticipated upgrades, Istanbul and Serenity. This new report from BNC Research explores Ethereum's enterprise opportunity, what the challenges are to capitalizing on that opportunity, and profiles some prominent competitors that have also that also have their eye on the institutional use prize. As the first platform blockchain, Ethereum ha- still has the most network effect <laughs> and the most promise for real-world enterprise. God, which is one of the strongest use cases. However, there are now a multitude of competing platforms, Tezos, Tron, and Neo, Cardano, for example, seek to improve upon and usurp it. And new distributed ledger technology, Hedera Hashgraph, the self-styled blockchain killer, has the potential to even obviate Ethereum altogether. <clears throat> then there are the legacy technology companies such as IBM, Microsoft, Oracle, and Amazon Web Services that are now offering, quote, blockchain as a service. Templating permissioned private and public blockchains for easy setups and integration with existing company cloud services. These also have the potential to steal the thunder from Ethereum and enterprise as they streamline and simplify the setup of private and permission networks. Interoperability between public platform blockchains is sorely needed and blockchain as a service platform addresses much of the demand of businesses by integrating with existing enterprise cloud services and legacy systems. If the enterprise use case is taken from Ethereum, that is a huge missed market opportunity and it will be largely left with dApps. The validity of many is questionable in the nascent decentralized finance market. Blockchain consortia, rather, what that that doesn't make blockchain consortia, rather than using a public blockchain businesses are that's this is a terribly written sentence. That's why I'm stumbling. This is not written all that well, guys. Editorial staff is is sorely needed everywhere. This is why you have editors. Okay. Somebody else to look at your stuff. And apparently nobody looked at this one. Um, let's try to do that again. 
blockchain consortia rather than using a block uh, public blockchain businesses are allying allying across and within industries to create blockchain consortia which govern permissioned and private networks and have the potential to further entrench leading positions and guide the future direction of globalization and even influence global governance. Just the global factory model has entrenched the position of developed countries in supply chains and made it more difficult for developing countries to move away from labor-intensive manufacturing. Blockchain consortia and private networks have the potential to distance a group of leader companies from the less dominant companies and even prolong business models that are ripe for disruption. You know, I'm just calling bullshit on all that. Uh, Ethereum is 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 stupid anyway. But this this is like a this you know report. It talk it it almost consolidates every time that I've ever reported about bananas on the blockchain, or diamonds on the blockchain, or freaking gold on the blockchain, or any anything on the blockchain is kind of dumb except for money money and possibly identity. But everything else depends on somebody making an entry into the ledger. And the minute that you have that, A, you don't need blockchain for that shit. And B, you can't trust it because you've got a, you've got the human interface there and humans are, are, you know, are, are fallible creatures. We just are, we get bribed, we get scared, we get stupid. I don't know. I mean, any, any number of things can happen, but all this enterprise on the blockchain, it's all freaking stupid. I, I really truly believe that it's all just a money grab. It's using words and, and catchphrases and, and punchy little, you know, uh, uh, elevator pitches to relieve people that have money of their money. It's all crap. Okay. But even in a sea of shit, it still looks like Ethereum is an, is is not going to be able to be part of that. I, 2.0, I doubt is even going to happen. And why am I saying that? Because the very next thing we got on Ethereum is a tweet out of Eric, uh, who if uh, let's see, Eric uh, Wall at ERCWL. He's been desperate, not desperately. He's been trying to sync an Ethereum quote unquote full node or whatever archival node or whatever they're whatever the the beefiest node that you can do for the Ethereum chain. He's been working on this shit for like 27 days. So this was from let's see, this was from yesterday. He says, for the last three days, I've been syncing blocks that didn't even exist. When I started the sync a month ago, and I'm not done yet. At this rate, we're talking about 45 days of sync required per year and increasing. Okay, it's it's like he, it's like the sync cannot catch up with the rate of blocks being done, and that actually is going to increase. You're looking at a chain that is getting crushed under its own weight. It's the gravity, like the, the mass that it's producing is, is producing a, is the side effect is like gravity. It's like a black hole. The larger something gets, the more effect it has of sucking yet more shit into it. And this gravity is, it's going to implode. I'm sorry. It just, it just is. I know a lot of people like Ethereum. 
I used to when I was buying into the world computer stuff, but no longer because uh, basically I got, I bought into the bamboozling. Um, let's see, crypto gains. This is Bitcoin Magazine's David Kamerer. Are you paying taxes on your 2019 Bitcoin gains? Yes, this is on September the 9th. It's no secret that the Internal Revenue Service is starting to crack down on cryptocurrency traders who it suspects have been misreporting the digital asset on their taxes. The agency has reportedly sent out more than 10,000 warning letters, including 6174 and CP2000, those are form numbers, alerting cryptocurrency traders who may have misreported the asset on their tax returns. With Bitcoin's 2019 price rise and increase of more than 180% in the year to date, it's likely that many traders have incurred capital gains that will need to be reported on their year-end taxes. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are treated as property in the eyes of the law, not as currency. This means that cryptocurrencies are subject to capital gains and losses tax rules, just like other forms of property, stocks, bonds, real estate, etc. A capital gain is simply the rise in value of a capital asset. In the world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you incur a capital gain when you sell or trade a coin for more than you acquired it for, just as if you sold a stock or a piece of real estate for more than you than you bought it for, you owe tax on this gain. For example, if you purchase 0.1 Bitcoin for 2000 in April of 2019 and then sold it two months later for 3000, you have a $1,000 capital gain. You report this gain on your tax return and depending on what tax bracket you fall under, you'll pay a certain percentage of tax on the gain. Rates fluctuate on your tax bracket, as well as depending on whether it was a short-term or long-term gain. A taxable event is simply a specific action that triggers tax reporting liability. In other words, whenever a, quote, taxable event happens, you trigger a capital gain or capital loss that needs to be reported on your tax return. Taxable events also apply to cryptocurrency. The following has been taken from the from the official IRS guidance from 2014 as to what is considered a taxable event in the world of cryptocurrency. If any of the below scenarios apply to you, you have a tax reporting requirement. One, trading cryptocurrency to fiat currency like the U.S. dollar is a taxable event. Trading currency to cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency is a taxable event. You have to calculate the fair market value in USD at the time of the trade. Using or three, using cryptocurrency for goods and services is a taxable event. Again, you have to calculate fair market value in USD at the time of the trade. Four and final, earning cryptocurrency as income is a taxable event from mining or other forms of earned cryptocurrency. Jeez. So in the example above, you trigger a taxable event with your sale of your $3,000 worth of Bitcoin. You would also trigger a taxable event if you traded that $3,000 worth of Bitcoin for another cryptocurrency, say 5 ETH. What does not trigger a Bitcoin taxable event? One, giving cryptocurrency as a gift is not a taxable event. A transfer or two, a transfer is not a taxable event. You can transfer crypto between exchanges or wallets without realizing capital gains or losses. Three and final, buying cryptocurrency with USD is not a taxable event. You don't realize gains until you trade, use, or sell your crypto. Again, looking at the example above, let's say you never sold or traded your $3,000 worth of Bitcoin. Just continuing to hold the asset does not trigger a taxable event. You only incur the capital gain when you trigger said taxable event. 
to properly file uh, and report your cryptocurrency transactions, you need IRS Form 8949 and a 1040 Schedule D. You should list all your taxable events onto Form 8949 along with the date you acquired the cryptocurrency, the date it was sold or traded, your proceeds, your cost basis, and your gain or loss. Once you have traded or each trade listed, total them up at the bottom of the form and transfer this amount to your 1040 Schedule D. Include both of these forms with your yearly tax return. This is where the problem exists. Because users are constantly transferring cryptocurrency into and out of exchanges, the exchange has no way of knowing how, when, where, or at what cost basis you originally acquired your cryptocurrencies. It only sees that they appear in your account. The second you transfer cryptocurrency into and out of an exchange, that exchange loses the ability to give you an accurate report detailing the cost basis and fair market value of your cryptocurrencies, both of which are mandatory components for cryptocurrency tax uh, reporting. The IRS is making it a top initiative to educate and ensure that citizens are remaining compliant with tax regulations surrounding digital assets. I think it is very likely that we will continue to see more cases of the agency enforcing these rules, potentially in a more aggressive manner in the coming future. Okay, that's it. That one is the most important one I'm going to read for the day because it has like a lot of implications. Again, this is why I don't trade. I, I just don't. I would suck at it, but... Having to list, I mean, every single trade that you do, you have to list this thing if you're a United States citizen. And it just seems to me that people that are just bouncing in and out of this stuff, my God, it's like, you know, what? And I know the better traders would, are probably keeping a journal, a trading journal, where they, where they do write down every single thing which, you know, would help them master, you know, master trading or whatever, but also it would help with taxes. I don't think most people are doing that. I think there's a shit ton of taxable events out there per trader that they have no recollection of. And all that shit could come, you know, could come back to bite. I don't think traders that were trading in like 2014, 2015, 2016, I think all those trades are probably lost. But when, when Bitcoin started getting up there in 2017 and, and everybody's ears perked up, that's probably when people started really watching. Again, it's why I don't trade. And it's also why I've been asked a couple of times as to, you know, we all got anybody with a Keybase account got notified that there's now like, I don't know, $21 worth of Stellar Lumens or something in the wallet. And yes, I am now the proud owner of a shit coin. That's just awesome. Absolutely great. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm bag holding Stellar Lumens now. I didn't buy them. I don't I don't want them. So people are asking me, well, just you know, trade it for more, you know, 20 bucks worth of uh, you know, Satoshis. Taxable event. That's a taxable event. I got it. First of all, I gotta move this bag of shit over to Kraken or something, or I I'm assuming Kraken probably has a trading pair for BTC and Stellar Lumens. But first, I'd have to get it over there, and then you know, then it's easy to buy Bitcoin, and then get you know whatever have two hundred thousand satoshis back. I think that's the going price right now. Um, it, back into my wallet and taxable event on twenty bucks. It's not worth my time. 
If for whatever reason, Stellar Lumens like increases in price to something like just stupid, which is possible in this, in this bizarre circus we find ourselves in, but I don't expect it. What I expect to have happen is I'm probably going to forget about them because they're worthless to me. They're, I mean, it's not worth the taxable. It's not worth the, the tax reporting. It's just not, it's just not for me. So there, but if you are trading, you got to keep this, this shit in mind. Okay. This, they're going to get real serious, real quick. And I guess you can hide it through, maybe through tour and going into an offshore, you know, exchange and doing it that way. But man, I mean, is it worth it? If you like said, Oh, well, of course it's worth it. I've made yeah, $50 million over this, you know, this entire period what if they take like half of it and you say no, and then you go to jail? Is that worth it? I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's, this is a major consideration, especially by me as to why I don't trade. And this is one of the major considerations. I don't want to, I, I just don't want to keep up with all this kind of crap. Okay. Jesse Willems is writing September the 9th for Bitcoin magazine that BitFarms expands Bitcoin mining operations in Quebec. With a cool climate and endless supplies of renewable hydropower left over from a time when forestry, pulp, and paper and traditional mining drove the economy, Quebec, Canada has the potential to be a thriving Bitcoin mining hub. Quebec's energy agency, Hydro-Quebec, told Bitcoin Magazine that it now provides 668 megawatts of power to Bitcoin miners, which it classifies as blockchain companies, and is currently taking proposals for 300 megawatts more, which will make mining one of the biggest industries in Quebec in terms of energy consumption. BitFarms, a Toronto and Brassard headquartered Bitcoin mining company, accounts for a significant portion of this with its five farms in Cowansville in a former Tupperware factory, St. Hyacinth in a former cocoa bag storage facility, Farnham in a former carpet factory, Magog and Sherbrooke in its newest facility, a former hockey stick factory. (laughs) Hockey, Canada. I love it. In an announcement made on September the 9th, 2019, BitFarms let its investors know that it had received new mining equipment from the Chinese company in Osilicon, including 4,100 new generation miners, <clears throat> which will be installed in the company's Sherbrooke Computing Center. Installation has started, and once the facility is fully operational, new mining hardware will add approximately 210 petahashes per second of Bitcoin-focused compute power. Quote, we are tremendously proud of our operational growth this year, Perry Luke Kemper, BitFarm's president and founder, said in the announcement. In a partnership with Hydro Sherbrooke, BitFarm's has commenced operations at its fifth modern data center, utilizing surplus hydroelectricity to power blockchain infrastructure, facilitating the Bitcoin network. Blockstream, the Bitcoin and blockchain company, made a big splash in mid-August 2019 when it announced its new mining superstores in Quebec and Adel, Georgia. Blockstream had negotiated competitive rates with Hydro-Quebec, but shortly after the Independent Quebec Energy Board, which regulates energy use, announced it was developing new guidelines for, quote, blockchain businesses. 
we have, ex- uh, sorry, quote, we have extended the deadline for submitting bids in the request of, for proposals to give time to the Régie de l'Orange, the local energy board, to render important decisions regarding uh, blockchain in Quebec, namely regarding the terms and conditions that will prevail for this new category of consumer, Hydro-Quebec's Jonathan Cote told Bitcoin Magazine. We are hoping to have a decision by the end of December and the request for proposals will end at the end of October. Blockstream CSO Samson Moe recently told Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine that the company will keep its current Quebec location running, but will expand only into the United States. Quote, it's the political uncertainty, Moe said, regarding Quebec's market. If they've looked at how they've presented themselves to the public, the government of Quebec would realize that they haven't exactly delivered a very cohesive me- message to companies inve- interested in investing. Jonathan Hamill, a close observer of the Quebec mining scene and founder of academic, oh, AcademiaBitcoin.com, told Bitcoin Magazine that he feels any chance of, for Quebec to become a thriving Bitcoin hub is slipping away. Quote, Quebec has gone down dramatically in terms of attractiveness for Bitcoin miners in the last 12 months, he said. The political crisis created by the former provincial government defeated in October of 2018 that forced Hydro-Quebec to turn 180 degrees on its blockchain industry offering gave a cold shower to any investors willing to develop the industry here. There are much better jurisdictions across Canada who are currently offering energy at a price similar, if not lower, and without the political risk. Hamill also noted that Quebec's culture has always been supported, <clears throat> has always supported an interventionist style of government, quite unlike the more entrepreneurial culture of a province like Alberta. There is a chronic aversion to private capital in Quebec. The economy here is deeply political, said Hamill. Hamill added that Hydro-Quebec is now subject to ruling rulings and decisions from the Quebec Energy Board with new requirements for mining firms to meet. Meanwhile, BitFarms is willing to work with the government on getting the mining industry regulated in Quebec. Quote, we remain confident in our view that the province of Quebec is a leader in supporting this vital and burgeoning industry, said Quimper. The Energy Board of Quebec, which is an independent tribunal, has an important role in establishing a framework for the emerging cryptocurrency mining industry within the province, and the proceedings will likely continue for several months, BitFarm CEO Wes Fulford said. Quebec is politically very stable. The energy market in Quebec is highly regulated. It can definitely be a complicated and lengthy process to outsiders, but our team has been doing business in Quebec for more than a decade in the data center sector and now in the blockchain sector. So Quebec leading yet not leading the way for Bitcoin mining because they just, you know, ah, they get flip-flopped. And I remember when that flip-flop happened, it was going to be like, ah, they were really excited. And then all of a sudden one day they said, you know what, we're, we've changed our minds. And they have so much hydroelectric electric power that's just going to waste or rather it's quote quote unquote, is called stranded energy. Um, and that stranded energy should be used, uh, especially in the face of all these, you know, like, cause every single one of the bit farms thing, uh, 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 buildings are, are, you know, former manufacturing. And you know what happens when you lose manufacturing? Yeah. It's, it's terrible. So why they're not jumping all over this is, is beyond my comprehension. But they're not, and that's the way that's the way it is. 
All right, we're going to end this with stupidity. This is Adrian Zmnutsky writing for Cointelegraph uh, this morning. MasterCard partners with blockchain firm R3 for payments solution. We already have that. MasterCard partnered with blockchain firm R3 to develop a cross-border payment solution. According to a MasterCard press release published on September the 1st, the two firms plan to pilot a new blockchain-enabled cross-border payment solution. The system will reportedly focus on connecting global faster payment infrastructures, schemes, and banks. Sorry, got a little, little message there. Uh, per the release, the announcement is part of MasterCard's plan to strengthen its cross-border payments network, building on its acquisition of global payments companies Transfast earlier this year. The partnership with R3 is part of the payment giant's multi-rail strategy, which sees customers choosing new how their funds should be moved. MasterCard Executive Vice President of New Payment Platforms, Peter Klein, commented on the development, quote, <clears throat> developing a new and better cross-border B2B payment solution by improving worldwide connectivity in the account-to-account space is central to MasterCard's ambition. Our goal is to deliver global payment infrastructure choice and connectivity as demonstrated through our recent strategic acquisitions and partnerships, including our relationship with R3. <laughs> in case you guys didn't know, R3 is one of the worst in the space. It just, just shit coinery all over the place. All right, continuing, the public builds on the previous, I'm sorry, the public, the partnership builds on the previous relations between the two companies, which publicly manifested also earlier this month when MasterCard joined R3's Corda-powered Marco Polo network for trade finance. Sorry about that. I was just, got a phone call, so I had to pause. Uh, continuing on again, and this is the last one, MasterCard also showed interest in the cryptocurrency space in August when the company appeared to be angling to enter the crypto wallet space with new job ads for blockchain and cryptocurrency-related product development. So uh, corporate-level shit coinery. That's all this is, and that is all there is to the morning roundup. Wow, man, my my entire recording application crashed. So this is going to be the second time through uh, uh, your vital statistics. Thankfully, it didn't kill everything. But yeah, we're going to round two of vital. So Bitcoin is at a price of $10,018. It does look like the high is going to be over at hit BTC at $10,028. And it does appear that the low is going to be over at Bitstamp at $10,000 dollars sorry ten thousand and one dollar three hundred and thirty six transactions have been made over the last twenty four hours with fourteen thousand uh, transactions being made per hour on average just under one million BTC have been sent over the last twenty four hours and forty thousand eight hundred fifty two BTC have been sent on average per hour average transaction value is two point nine BTC and the median transaction value is zero point zero three BTC or about three hundred bucks which is where I like to see it now shaving twenty percent off of its block time we have eight minutes five seconds blocks are being produced every eight minutes. So it's averaging seven blocks per hour. So where it should be averaging six blocks per hour. So can you guess why we're burning through so many blocks? Because miners are going freaking crazy. We have a 15% rise in, in hash rate over the last 24 hours, giving us 95.7 exahashes per second. 
I reiterate, in 2017, it was four. Four exahashes per second in 2017. 95, and it's hit as high as 100. Okay, so... <laughs> and, and, and new mining equipment is coming online like all the time. So I expect a massive uh, difficulty adjustment, uh, dif- difficulty adjustment uh, when, whenever that is going to, whenever that happens. Last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 176. Bcash is at 296. Litecoin is at 70. BSV is at 115. Ethereum Classic is at six and a quarter. Dogecoin has lost a little bit more, 0.0024. It was 2.5. Now it's all the way down to 2.4. And at 25,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it doesn't beat anybody, including Litecoin. So there you go. Mempool, let's look at what we're going on here. We are 10 blocks deep in the mempool with right around 16,000 unconfirmed transactions. There has been a block mined that was 1.6 megabytes in size. That was done about 30 minutes ago and had 2,313 transactions packed inside of it. That's going to do it for your morning roundup. For today's song of the day, we're going to bring you some King's X. Yeah, and I've played them before, but not this song. Uh, this this song is, uh, well, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about King's X. Uh, amazingly enough, I had been listening to King's X for you know quite a long time before I realized that they were a quasi-Christian band, and, and they actually are. Um, I kind of confirmed that. And, and the reason is because I normally don't listen to what the lyrics are saying in a song. I, everybody, like, I seem to be like the only person that doesn't give a shit about what's going on in the lyrics. I, I care about the music and the groove. That's what I give a shit about. Cause if it's not groovy, I don't, you know, I, I'm not listening to it. And this goes for a lot of stuff, even Rush, which has some pretty poignant lyrics. I don't normally listen to that. So I wasn't listening to a lot of the, the, uh, lyrics in King's X and somebody's like going, I can't believe you listen to a Christian band. I'm like, what? Anyway, so as it turns out, it's quasi-Christian music that you're about to listen to. But you're about to listen to it off, off the album that the band hates the most. Yes, that's right. This is, this is from their album called Ear Candy, and they can't stand this album because they, they literally produced this album to give a, a particular record company exactly what they wanted. Because the record company was bitching that because these guys have been around for decades and they've had like one radio hit and they've just been limping along for like, I don't know, 30, maybe it's even 40 years. They've been they've been at this for a long. No, it's got to be like 20 or 30. But still, we're talking about decades here and they're still playing clubs. They're they're not filling out arenas and shit, guys. But. So I guess their, you know, artist and repertoire guy from whatever record company they were with at the time said, you write me an album with hits on it or we're going to release you from your freaking contract. So they made Ear Candy. Poignant name. However, here's the, here's the rub. It's a good album. They may have done it in, to spite their A&R guy and their uh, their management and the record company. Doesn't matter. It's a damn good album. 
<laughs> and it's re this particular song reminds me of the price because, you know, of Bitcoin, because sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down and sometimes it's going to die. And sometimes it, you know, rises from the dead. It's, it's always sometimes with this thing.
Friday. There you go. There's your song of the day. So daily train. I'm just going to jam daily train wrecked and terrible joke corner together today because honestly, I did. I I'm not finding a whole lot of really high quality train wrecks. If you guys are seeing something that I'm completely missing, uh, send them my way. Because uh, I I used to see like really horrendous and sick twisted smoldering piles all over the place, and now I, I I really don't see them. But this one, I mean, while mild, still demonstrates. Uh, <laughs> well, you'll know what it demonstrates when you when you hear it. I wish I had kept my seventeen hundred BTC at six cents instead of selling them at 30 cents now that they're $8 hashtag Bitcoin Greg Schoen 2011. Yeah. And I, I don't know the guy, so I don't know if I should disrespect him or respect him by either putting in or keeping out the music. So I'm just, or the train wreck sound, I'm just going to keep it out today so we can go right into the terrible joke corner, which is brought to you by Away slice at Away Slice on Twitter. If you're not following him, you probably should. He says, why did the cowboy get adoptioned? Because somebody told him to get a long little doggy. And that's just bad. I, it, I, again, short, sweet, to the point, rather esoteric, because you got to know what adoptioned is or dachshund or whatever, however you pronounce that that stupid name, but the long wiener dog, right? So get along, little dog. Yes, yeah, cowboys and get along, little. I mean, it's it's got everything in it. So it's it's a great it's a great terrible joke, and we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna go ahead and, and just end this thing here instead of doing any bumper stuff, just because efficiency matters and um, there's just no reason to draw it out. Uh, it's Wednesday. It is hunt day. We are at a, a price right at like ten thousand dollars. Hey. People are calling for the death of Bitcoin. It's always dying. It's been called dead 380 times or more over the last 10 years. It's still not dead. It's going to pump out blocks every 10 minutes, or in this case, every eight damn minutes, because it's so the mining power coming online is really kind of scary. And there's that kind of gives me a little bit of pause. Is it possible? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not, trying to FUD anybody here. It's a thought, you know, it should, we should think about it though. Is it possible to build enough miners that the difficulty adjustment just can't keep up? Like, I mean, the difficulty adjustment is, is going to readjust and apparently it does so every, what's like something like two weeks. So it gets a sense of what's going on in the network and then makes an estimation as to how much more hash power it's going to need to get back or how much difficulty it's going to need to apply to the hash power it sees to get back to a 10 minute block. But that's every two weeks. Is it possible that in two week spans, you could have miners like saying, okay, we're going to wait till the difficulty adjustment. And then we're going to turn them all on a brand new data center. And we're going to like add, I don't know, 20, like let's say another 10 exahashes per second the, the absolute second after the difficulty adjustment happens and is then locked in, right? Is it possible that you can do that every two, like on a two-week cycle? Could this be the possibility, could it possibly be a new business model going forward? And if it is, what does it mean to the network? 
it's just going to crank out blocks. That's what it means to the network. But moreover, what it kind of signals to me is rather bullish because if that is true, and that's a long shot, guys, I'm just, I'm spitballing here. I'm just, you know, I'm not even predicting. I'm just kind of musing about this, this whole thing. But if it were come to, we were to come to find out that it was true that people were building, you know, a data center, stocking it out, and then waiting until after the difficulty adjustment to actually flip a switch, then that means that they are speculating in a hardcore way on the price of Bitcoin going nothing but up, because they sure as shit ain't going to do that if they're speculating speculating on it going down, right? So just it's just a thought. Keep it in mind. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.